When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, Kings fans? If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor, it's totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be. All the frustration and disappointment of the past is gone. The 45-year drought is over. The Los Angeles Kings are indeed the kings of the National Hockey League. They are the 2012 Stanley Cup champions. Cleared away by the Kings, picked up by Martinez. Martinez to Clifford, feeds it right side to Foley with a shot. Save, rebound, score! Alec Martinez has won the Stanley Cup for the Los Angeles Kings. And royalty reigns again in the NHL. I'm Scott Kimball, and we got a big show going out for you today. Before we get started, we bring in our panel. First of all, our fearless leader, Mr. Ryan Spikes. How you doing, Ryan? Hey, Scott. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm fine, brother. I'm fine. And up next, we got Jack Weber. What's going on, Jack? Not too much. Just uh, enjoying a Saturday night here. No Kings to watch, so just channel flipping a bit, and uh, hopefully, hopefully tomorrow. Yeah, we got our night did. <laughs> Well, we got Ontario Rain on right now. They're up two to nothing, so that's a good sign. Yeah, Ooh, scored. yeah, that's right. That's right. <clears throat> Our man Alex Turcott coming through. Russell Morgan, what's going on? Hey, what's going on, guys? How's it going? Doing fine, brother. We're doing fine. And last but certainly not least, we got Mr. Ryan Cowley. What's going on, buddy? Uh, 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 how's, how's it going, guys? As usual, I'm very happy to be here. And it's a great Saturday night. So thanks. So it's going to be fun. All right. Yes, it is. It's going to be a lot of fun because our guest today is a man that needs no interdiction at all, but he's going to get one anyway. You can find his work on the fourthperiod.com. You can also hear him at the hot stove on NHL radio on Sirius XM. And you also know him by the kings of the podcast with the mayor, John Hoven, along with other several media out there. And he's also the chairman of the Los Angeles chapter of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the one, the only, Mr. Dennis Bernstein. Dennis, thanks for coming on. How are you tonight? Guys, great being on Ring Royalty, but you know, that's way too long of an introduction. So just let's do this is like a Twitter reunion. I mentioned in the, before we started that I know all you cats on Twitter. I appreciate all the support, but yeah, let's talk King Taki. All right, let's do it. Well, you know, I know you're a fan of WWE, so I wanted to give you a WWE like introduction, you know? <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? All right, so Dennis, you got the belt. 
Oh, oh gosh, he's got a belt. Excellent. Excellent. The okay. old school WCW big belt. I love it. You got it, brother. You got it. The Ric Flair belt. All right. Hey, there you go. Woo! <laughs> All right. Before we get going, Dennis, I want to get a little background on you, just so our listeners uh, know a little bit more about you. So you're from New York City. Is that correct? That's correct. Born and raised in the Bronx. A big Yankee fan. Oh, God. Dennis. Right, me too. All right. Was, hey, listen. Us New York Staters got to stick together. I love it. All right. No, no, no. So, <laughs> all right. So when you were there, uh, tell us a little bit. Were you uh, you were a double season ticket holder, correct? I was. Yeah, you did some research. Yeah, back in like uh, the mid-90s. So I knew cats like uh, Mike Peluso. And Mar- I'm really good friends with Marty Bordeaux. I actually lived in a high-rise in Hackensack that rented out uh, short-term apartments to professional players. So I know a lot of the Giants, the Yankees lived in there, Buck Showalter, a lot of different people. And with the devil side, got really close with Peluso, who's, you know, is going through some tough times right now. Marty Brodeur, who I, you know, still to this day, when he comes to Staples Center, I see him, he always says, hey, Dennis, how's it going? So it was a very unique time. And those Devils, <laughs> those devils teams were, you know, classic, tough, defensive-minded teams. And it was uh, exciting to watch. And that's how I really got back into hockey. I'm not that young, guys. So I, you know, I grew up a Ranger fan actually in the '60s and '70s, watching when there were four channels on TV and black and white TVs. Um, <laughs> away from the game in the '80s, and then back in the '90s when the Devils started winning. I just went to a party once and was talking to some guy in his 20s, and he knew he was connected to some of the players. And you know, it's like the North End in in you know in Hermosa here in Jersey. There was a, a bar where the, all the players hung out and and. I just realized what great guys they were. So I wanted to get back and cover the sport. And that was kind of the genesis of it. I started my own little fan newspaper in 96 or 97. And it came to LA in 98. Very cool. Very cool. You know, it's it's funny you mentioned those guys because uh, I actually live pretty close to Utica, New York. And during that time, they had their AHL affiliate, the Utica Devils. So I got to see Marty Brodeur and a lot of those guys before they came up to the big club. So that's really cool. So yep. you said you had a, a newsletter when you were with the Devils. So is that basically what led you into L.A. and to the, the fourth period? Yeah, well, um, you know, I got married. I got divorced. Um, and, and I was just done in New Jersey. It was just nothing more to do. And, and just to take a step back, I did start that letter. And, and it was the worst time because I wanted to give publicity to the Devils when Lou Lamorello was running the team. And that's the last thing he wanted, right? I mean, Lou wants to hang out a single thing, hockey tonight. And that's why he wants to promote the team. So they, and the worst thing you could tell me is I can't do something, right? So that kind of gave me a little bit of motivation. But for anybody that wants to get in this sport and want to do media, I, I tell you, I'm the least qualified person on my credentials to do this. And I'll give you the example. I have an accounting degree, a master's in finance. I got a C in English in, in freshman English. I've never taken a journalism or write, creative writing course in my life. So what am I doing here is the chair of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. So if you have a passion and you can construct sentences. Like, I was a really good business writer. It wasn't a great writer. I could never write a book. These guys that write books, like my buddy uh, Brian Kennedy, who writes for Inside Hockey, he's written nine books. That's not me. Like, if you read my writing, it's like 1,200 words, and I could just knock it out. So you don't have to be the greatest writer in the world. You don't have to be the most knowledgeable guy in the world. I'm never going to be Bob Kenzie. But you got to have passion. you got to have some knowledge. you got to have some some personality these days to kind of separate yourself. So that's that's kind of the genesis of, of what I've been doing for the last 20 years. <laughs> Yeah, and Dennis, that's awesome. Yeah, Dennis, I actually dug up the uh, offside hockey hockey talk podcast that you were on back in at the end of July. It was when I first reached out to you. How your kind your story kind of resonated resonated, excuse me, uh, with me because you know I'm a civil engineer uh, full time during the day, but you know I spend hours and hours uh, at night writing this stuff, uh, setting alarms early in the morning to get up and do it. You know, like you said, it's just kind of that passion that. I have yeah. to do it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And look, I tell people like this, if nothing else, this has become a great hobby for someone. And yeah. go do your civil engineering. Do your, I mean, you know, look, the sports media business is tough, man. They're cutting jobs left and right, despite what happened with ESPN and NHL here. So I always advocate people like, do it. It's a lot of fun. It's taken me around the world, literally. But it's like, you know, somebody's asked me if I ever want, and I'm not trying to disrespect the LA Times. I'd never want to be a beat writer for the LA Times. I'd never want to have to sit there and report on every single game and ask Todd the same question about the power play working or not working. That's not me. So at least with the fourth period, I'm a columnist. I write every, you know, 
every six games with respect to the Kings that do national stuff and stuff like that. So if you have a passion and you want a voice, go do it. Don't think you're going to, you know, get to Bob McKenzie or Darren Drager's level or just, you know, just do that full time. If nothing else, you'll enjoy it and you'll enjoy following the game. And maybe at some point you get to my level. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. That's very awesome. Yeah, that is great. You know, that's, that's actually very, very inspirational too. So excellent. So I'll tell you what. Why don't we get down to what we all came out to talk about? That is some L.A. Kings hockey. All right. So there's a very, very popular hashtag going around the Kings world right now. <laughs> Play the kid. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure you've heard about 10,000 times a day. But uh, yes. what's your thoughts on, on what the Kings should be doing with some of these kids as far as uh, maybe uh, bringing them up to the, the big club yeah. or leaving them down in Ontario to percolate? What do you think? Well, Scott, here's what I think. I think what they're doing with nine, with 90% of the players – I think it's fine. I think that what they're doing with Madden, Kapari, Keel Thomas, that, that, that's fine. Like, I, I think they missed a huge opportunity to bring Quentin Fifield up here and put him on the taxi squad when the OHL wasn't running and have him practice and play against Velarde and Kopitar and Carter every day. You don't got to put him in a game, but he should have been up here practicing because I'll submit to you, when you watch the Ontario Reign play, I'm not sure that's helping his development this year. They can argue that it is. I just think it was a huge opportunity to have Quentin come up. And here's the thing. Once the OHL gets going, he's going to have to come up here anyway. So why did you have him up here all season, travel, learn from Todd, learn at the highest level? That was my that was my, my thing. And same thing with Kaliev. I, I could see sending Kaliev down. But remember, if you send Quentin back to the OHL once it opens, then you're asking him to quarantine three times this year. You have yeah. to do it with the Canadian national right. team. You have to do it coming in here to, to the States. And you have to do it again to play 24 games in the juniors where he's going to dominate. How does that help anybody? So for me, look, I, I would have preferred because there's 23 roster spots and six uh, taxi squad, you could have fit these two players up in here and get them up here all season and really evaluate them because guess what, guys? There's too many prospects. There's too many draft picks. There's too much cap space. And to say you don't know if these players are ready yet, you would have known by the end of the season, even if they never played a game, like what Kaliev and Byfield could do because they'd be competing with players at the highest level. So that's my play to kid. And look, I'm tweaking my partner when I say that, but I'm, I'm encouraged. <laughs> to, me, to, to me, the biggest like disappointment over the last couple of weeks, Jared Anderson Dolan, when he played a stretch of three games, he looked great. Like, yeah, he did. Did three, and then he got hurt. I mean, that was like – that one was a tough one. The rest of them, Leas Anderson, Matt Love, Wagner, however you want to classify these, these the Kupari, um, I'm fine with that. I just think when you have a number two overall pick, like I would have liked to see the opportunity to see what he really could have done, at least practicing against these behind players. So that's kind of my my you know my, my thought about playing the kids because now I'm going to be hashtagging trade the kids. I just I don't get it like saying okay they shouldn't make a move in the offseason I don't understand that like they have these prospect pool with everybody raised about they have seven picks in the first four rounds and they have 20 million dollars in cap space and you're not going to do anything you're just going to wait and see if these kids develop like that's not me they got to be more aggressive at this point you know look I'm Rob Blake's been in this seat for going on four years I'm still waiting for his signature trade it's been four years. So it's not a criticism, but I, I think they got to get way more aggressive because the stage is set, right? You can say you can wait another year to figure out what Byfield's about, but this offseason, if you're going to try to compete against the big boys in the division, you've got to make your move now. The stage is set. So that's the, the play the kids, right? Rant with respect to what I think they should be doing going forward. Yeah, very well. well Dennis, I mean, uh, Alex Turcott scored tonight, so you have to trade him now, right? His value won't be yeah, high. Yeah, and it's a high. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I go. I agree with everything you're saying. I mean, personally, I'm I'm kind of glad Byfield's been able to get those games with Ontario Rain. I think kind of juggling him between the taxi squad and the LA Kings to start the season would have been kind of detrimental to his development. Because I mean, if he, I mean, if he, he would have been in the OHL to start the season if that season was going. So to have him in the AHL, kind of getting those first professional games, I think was good for his development. But like you mentioned, if for him. If the OHL season does start, you have to give them up with the Kings. You yeah. have to get them up practicing with players like Kopitar and Dowdy, get in that that development in the NHL. And well, that's just Russell, only going to accelerate the team. Yeah, Russell and Dennis, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the Kings just had to get approval to carry less than four players on the taxi yes. squad. Correct. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. you need to be bringing these guys up. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, we don't. How long well, do we want know, this rebuild the, the to be going? Is, yeah, and the thing is with Byfield too, they're kind of in the same situation next season with him. He's either going to have to play in the OHL or the the NHL, correct? Because he's yeah. only going to be nineteen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a tough situation. Plus, you have too many players. Like, how many centers can they yeah. have? <laughs> Somebody tell me, well, Kapari could be right. a two C. Where's he going to play two C? If Kopitar, uh, did you see Kopitar this year? He's, he's a Hart Trophy guy. He's not going to play for three years. It's like it's not going to. It's there's just too many players here. And and don't think the other thing is, don't think that you can just take any center, flip him to left wing, and he's automatically going to be a twenty goal, thirty goal scorer. Don't think that Alstark could just magically do that, right? So I think that's it. So again, you've got to identify your core two or three. And then you got to open up the market for these because that's a great thing. It's not a bad thing, but please identify who the like the one and two of the future are. Is it Byfield and uh, and and Gabe? Is it what's Turk going to do? What are you going to do with Akil Thomas? What are you going to do with Kapari? Like, so, and these are players that you can market and and get you know legit. Look, you know we've done our videos. They need a top line left wing. I don't think anybody in the system, you know, uh, uh, is a thirty goal scorer. They need a top pair defenseman to play with Drew. I don't care. Bjorn Ford is not the guy. He never scores, right? I mean, that's the problem. Him and Mikey, like Mikey Anderson to me, is Rob Scuderi. Maybe not physically, but he's going to play with very yeah. long time. He's never going to be an offensive player. If you watch his shot, he's got no shot. Maybe if he gains weight, maybe a little bit better. But these are not offensive players. These are not guys that you want to pair with Drew Carey. You want a superior top pair. You could get away with it. But look, this team thought they could get away with Oli Mata as a top pair defenseman, and that didn't work, right? Yeah. So those sure. are my two. So, sure. so, and the great thing is, you don't have to make two trades. You can acquire one of those players by free agency, probably the winger, and you got to make the trade for the defenseman. So you hold your nose, you treat some of these prospects that you think might develop into supers. And guys, nine guys aren't going to develop into superstars. It doesn't work like that. I'm like, I, I don't. I, I mean, if you got to sacrifice an Alex Turcotte, because to me, Alex Turcotte, you know who he is. He's Braden Shen. Hmm, the fifth like Shen right. was. He's not going to be a really good player. He's not going to be a superstar. And you're yeah. going to get the guy that you need to add to this uh, to this roster to make your team a dangerous team. Well, and look at their their last four drafts. I mean, the first round, you know, it took Velarde, Kupari, Turcotte, Byfield. Like these guys are all centers, and he's right. still got Kopitar yeah. playing at a very high level and signed yeah. for forever. So absolutely, <laughs> this is this is the one area where you're set. And at, at some point, you know, may, whether it's Turcotte or Kupari or whoever, you've got to identify who it's going to be. You are going to have to move some of these guys to address your needs in other areas. Yeah, I agree. I mean, no, I, I think of- in terms of left wing, I, I, I mean, Arthur Kalia is probably the best left winger the Kings have right now, but he's still probably at least maybe a year, two years away removed from actually making an impact on an NHL roster. So I agree with you, Dennis, in terms of the Kings needing to find that left wing. I mean, how long has it been since the Kings have had a bona fide left wing one? I mean, it feels like forever. But yeah. I mean, in terms, but I mean, you and I have gone back and forth on Twitter a little bit in terms of the top four or that top pair defenseman. I personally think that the top four is actually pretty set for the future. I mean, I, we all know Bjornfoot and Mike Anderson aren't that scoring type of defenseman. But, I mean, when we won those Cups, we only really had Drew Doughty and Jake Muzzin. Jake Muzzin really wasn't that scoring type yeah. defenseman either. I mean, but Matt Roy has actually stepped up and been really good in terms of analytical offense. So I okay. think he can step up and be one of those top four uh, defensemen as well. Okay, so let me give you the list of defensemen who have scored an even strength goal this year. Drew Doughty has two. And Curtis McDermott has one. And that's the list. <laughs> I was just, yeah, Russell, I was just going to say, you know, it's a problem. That's the list. Curtis McDermott has the second most goals among the defensemen. <laughs> that's, the, that, so, well, that's why he gets a lineup, guys. Right? You, you could get away with it, but I want this team to be more dynamic. Like, And they're doing great five-on-five, five, but, guys, let's be real. Is Kobe going to be a heart candidate every year? And is Dustin Brown going to produce at 44 goals per year? That's what he's on. That's the run rate. And, and you know with – you know, I get tripped all the time about my favorite player, Adrian Kempe, right? Because right <laughs> now, right, he's on fire. But, you know, before he got on fire, he scored one goal in 14 games. And the last time I checked, he scored five of those goals against the Anaheim Ducks. Did you see Anaheim play last night against San Jose? Oof. That's like two and a half goals, not really five goals. Okay? <laughs> so, so there is – I want to see progression, and I want this team to be just more dynamic, more dangerous. They're just not there yet. If, you, if you're willing to wait two years to say, okay, Madden's going to come through, Kapari could go to wing, Turcotte could be the guy, I'm fine. 
But you know what? There are other teams that don't wait. Vegas doesn't wait. Colorado doesn't wait. And they're already ahead of you. And I get it. They're further along on the development curve. But you got to step up here. Like the stage is set. So to think that they're going to go into this offseason and do nothing and just say, okay, we're going to continue with progression, they're going to fall behind, to be honest with you, because what happens if these players – I want – you know, and I think that's what they did with Dubois. Like if they could have traded futures for a guy who was 22 years old, who's controllable for five more seasons, you don't think they would have done it with their futures? The issue with Dubois is – that there wasn't a Patrick Lane on this team to trade for. And that's what that's what Columbus right. wanted. They wanted, you know, if, if a team out there wants to trade an Eichel or a Darlene or, or Phil Forsberg and they want futures, there's not a better team, maybe short of the Rangers who might trade Caco and Lafreniere, to trade with the LA Kings. If there's a team out there that wants to trade existing talent, established talent for futures, this is the best team that can do it. They are the best equipped to do it. Yes. That's why when you hear Eichel, I'm not advocating for Eichel. You hear two teams, L.A. and New York. Those are the two teams because yeah. they can give you value with respect to futures because you're not going to trade Jack Eichel for Leon Dreisaitl, right? It's going to be for futures. They're going to rebuild. They're already 31st. So I think that's it. So, so again, it's just that, like, I see everything aligned for this team, and I want them to take the next step aggressively. Others want to just lay back and say, let's see what Bjorn for. Let's see what Mike Anderson does more. I've seen enough. I'm not a, a scout or an evaluator, but I, I've seen enough to say, okay, I don't think I, I think they'd be part of a championship team, Russ. I absolutely think they are. They're solid, they're gonna be solid players and they're 19 and 21 or 22 years old. I get that. I want one more piece. I don't want to trade the whole team. I don't want to revamp the whole defense. I want to add one piece on defense, one piece up front, and then go with it and then roll the dice. Well, and to your point, Dennis, about how patient do you want to be. Like, you've got a guy in Kopitar who's still, you know, one of the top five or ten centers in the league probably, but he's 33 years old. So do you want to wait two or three years until maybe he starts to decline when the rest of the team starts rounding the form? Or do you want to be aggressive and try to win while you still have this guy playing like this? Yeah, great point, Jack. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And, you know, the, just with, with Buffalo, too, you almost have to feel sorry for him because as far as Eichel goes, there's only a few teams that can take on that contract. Yeah, so well, they're really kind of hamstrung as to what they can do there. I feel sorry for the Buffalo fans. God, I say every yeah, time. Yeah, I, really yeah, I should. Yeah, I should rephrase that. I yeah, sign that's, up. That's, yeah. that's kind of what I meant. I say, yeah. God, I say God bless the Saber fans. I mean, that's always every time the radio segment. But here's the thing, Scott. Like, if you're going to make a trade there, if that's your point. Like, there are how many contending teams with talent can trade for Dak, Jack Eichel? They're all up against the cap. How many teams can trade for Darlene coming up on entry level contract? Every team. So that's the guy you trade, not Jack Eichel. And now Jack's got some neck issues right. and vertebrae issues. So who knows? He's off. He's probably not going to play the rest of the season. So there's an injury factor there. You, if you got a pool of three or four teams that can take on Eichel and get you return value, that's great. The guy to trade would be Darlene because you can get futures. Not only that, what's the draft full of this year? Defensemen. So you can get a replacement. If Sabres are 31st. So they can trade. They can draft Owen Power or Lambo or Brent Clark or Luke Hughes. So they can get a comparable talent for that. So to me, logically, that would be the thing. But I agree with you on Michael. There's only – and Kings are one of – hey, here, take this, guys. I know this might be blasphemy with respect to the Kings, but what happens if they trade Jonathan Quick at the deadline? Then yeah. they have $25 million in cap space next year. They're not going to make a move? Like, are you kidding? Like, are they going to wait two years? Like, Jack says, like, how long can you wait at this point in time? So that that's – so if, if they do want to move in 32 – and there's arguments to do it and not to do it. Like then you gotta think there's gonna be a move. You're cleaning five million dollars more in cap space. Like holy cow, what are you waiting for? You're gonna trade for three guys in the offseason? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, uh, sorry, guys. Someone jump in. Uh, uh, yeah, Dennis, come back to what you were saying about like Bally Rob Blake. I mean, uh, I mean, overall, I've been a fan of this for the last four years. Uh, but but as you said, uh, um, uh, no, no, uh, uh, um, uh, no, no. Sorry, forewarning. I have a speech impediment, so sometimes it it no it takes me twenty minutes to talk. But no, no, but no, no, no. But Rob, like as you said, hasn't made that big trade yet. Uh, it, you know, I think quite frankly, you mentioned the examples of Eichel, Forsberg, Darlene. Like, like, uh, um, I, yeah, I think I think the time is now because uh, um, uh, 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 because like going back to Ian Lombardi and. And all the drafting he did, um, no, no. Um, but from my vantage point, at least, um, 
um, the most significant step he made, uh, 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 you know, was was were two big trades, uh, trading right. Ben and Simmons to Philly, which which was tough at first, but like uh, you know, they got back Mike Richards, the bonafide leader, and then they got and then they traded uh, Johnson for Carter uh, later in the season, and the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, well, look, Rob's cleared a couple of hurdles here, right? I mean, <laughs> the team was up against the cap when he took over, right? So he's yeah, cleared that right. hurdle. He's built a prospect pool. I have no problem. He he has he's he's exported talent, right? Yeah. He's exported Tyler Foley. He exported Clifford. He exported mm-hmm. uh, um, Alf Martinez. He <laughs> he sent away a lot of talent, right? He hasn't acquired any talent. Like the one big deal yeah. he made was. Kovalchuk, and it blew up in his face. And I guess yeah. it was a good risk to take. He could have traded for – look, he could have traded for Max Patch already. Max is killing it over there. I mean, and, and to me, that's the, that's the opposite end of the spectrum, guys. When I look at Vegas, they always take a big swing, right? And I know yeah. some people say, well, they were set up to win because of the expansion draft. That's BS. They traded for Mark Stone, and he gave up a first rounder and a second rounder. They, then uh, following uh, offseason, they traded for – Max Pacioretty, and they gave up a first, you know, and they gave up um, Tatar. And this season, what did they do? They got the biggest free agent in the pool. Like, so that's, and they're in your division. Yeah. It's not the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like, it, they're in your division. They're going to be competitive. And they're doing it with Chandler Stevenson as the one seed. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. you never trade for a legit the amazing part right there. Yeah, exactly. So so that's that's the that's the benchmark. So I, I get it with respect. You, and my point is, and I've tried to make this point, you're not operating in a vacuum, right? You're operating against Colorado and Vegas and, and all these other teams in the West and Edmonton, who's not going away. If they ever figure out how to surround, you know, those two players up there, they're going to be dangerous. Well. So they're not, you're not operating in a vacuum. It's not a business that just doesn't affect. It, it's, it's totally against the competition. And when you have competition like that, that's super aggressive. Like then you got to start getting aggressive, and you have the tools to do it at this point. Yeah, I think this off season right. is exactly. the time for Rob Blake to start being aggressive. I mean, I, I don't think any of us would be critical of what Rob Blake and Kings management has done so far. I mean, no. like you mentioned, we've been we've built yeah. the number one prospect pool in the NHL. I mean, that's pretty much a consensus. I mean, I guess Ottawa and New York have some good ones as well. But I think if the this off season comes and goes and no big move is made, then that's the time to be critical. Because yeah. you can't go a full year without playing Byfield or Kaliev or Turcotte in the NHL and mm-hmm. then go to this offseason and not make a big move with the amount of pricks that we or the amount of ammo that they have. I mean, if if they make a move like Darlene, that's that's great. I love it. I mean, but there's only really one major move I think that will be made with great. the amount of picks I may, uh, they have. So, I mean, I guess the question would be to you, Dennis, is if you were Rob Blake, would you make that Jack Eichel trade? I have to think, well, here's the thing. Um, is Gabe Velarde or Byfield an 80-point score when they're healthy like Jack Eichel is? I don't know. I don't think so. I, 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 that one, that's not – here's the thing. That's not a no-brainer, okay? Darlene, is, for me, it's a no-brainer. I would do it tomorrow. I would drive the prospects to the airport. Okay, let me <laughs> get out of here. And give them, you know, like I, I give them you. a first. I give them like two seconds. I mean, a blockbuster here. You can make a blockbuster. You can put Turcotte – and Kapari and a first were two seconds in the deal and make it attractive, right? I mean, three or four for one. That's what you need to do. And you can do it because you can't bring in all this more talent. What are you going to do with seven picks and four rounds here? So mm-hmm. the Jack Eichel thing is tough because, you know, he's in a losing situation. He's probably the reason Ryan O'Reilly isn't in Buffalo anymore and went to St. Louis. And, went, and that's the problem with Buffalo. They traded the consummate winner and they got nothing for him. Mm-hmm. Unless Tate Thompson's going to be a 40 goal scorer. Like, that's the worst trade ever, right? So that's my thing. But here's the flip side of that. Maybe Jack Eichel needs to come to a, a better situation. Because here's yeah. the thing. Jack Eichel has the owner's ear in Buffalo. He, he basically ran Ryan O'Reilly out of town. He's direct line to the ownership. He's not going to have that in L.A., right? And you know what? If this was six years ago, like I always laugh about these players like Jack Eichel and Dubois and Lonnie. Could you imagine if they were on the Kings in, in 2012 or 13 and they started with guys like Matt Green and Stoll <laughs> and Robin Regeer in the locker room? They would have thrown against the wall, kicked their butt, and like you would be so – maybe Jack needs to come to a better organization with a great yeah. coach, I think is a great coach, with Copa de Tard to learn from. Who's he learning from there, right? I mean, who, I mean yeah. who, you know, Casey Middlestat, Dylan Cousins. 
Like maybe it's the best thing for him. So, right. so Russell, I have, you know what? It would depend on the deal. Like mm-hmm. it, it, right now you're probably buying low on Jack Eichel, but the injury factor is saying, okay, maybe the reason he's got two goals is that, but remember they signed that guy, they signed a left winger for $8 million and he scored one goal, right? <laughs> What's going on over there? So maybe, oh. you know, maybe you're hoping that they can rebuild and stuff like that. But Russ, I don't really know if you believe in Gabe Velarde and I'm sure everybody in this call, you see the flashes, mm-hmm. right? You see the flashes. And there's another hashtag, Scott, shoot the puck game. The guy is just yes. not aggressive enough in the offensive zone. I don't get it. I, every every game I go to, I look at, and he's effective, and you can see how he moves in tight and the skill. You see it, and he's got amazing. He's got a powerful shot. Every time I look down the score sheet, one shot, zero shots. I'm like, <sighs> I don't understand it. I, he's got to be more aggressive. But I tell you one thing: he learned some lessons from Todd because you guys remember early in the season, what did he say? Either you're good or you're not good at faceoffs. Like you yeah. saw what happened. All of a sudden, right. he got better at sauce because you know he got talking to by yeah. by, by by Todd. I'm mm-hmm. sure he got asked to show that. And you saw it with the same thing. You know, Todd doesn't call players out much in the in the media. He called out Velarde on that, and then he called out Kempe saying we need more from him. And then he got on fire. He got his attention. So to answer his question, Russ, for me, it's a coin flip. It would have to be what they're asking from Buffalo. If it's too much, I don't have to rush out and get him because, as Jack said, you got depth there. Like, you mm-hmm. could not trade for Jack Eichel and be a contender if you think these players are legit. Would they be a contender tomorrow if they traded for Jack Eichel? They would, but, again, it would depend on the cost for me. Right. Well, another player, Dennis, that, you know, and it was his entire line that he called out, but the Blake Lazat line. I want to talk to you kind of just about Blake Lazat. Do you see him long-term or is he just a placeholder here? I think he's a placeholder, and he's a great story. Any kid that's growing up that's undersized that didn't get drafted, um, you can make it to the NHL. So I think it's great. I think he's been heroic sometimes. But I, I, at best, Ryan, he's a four C, right? If you think that Jod yeah. or Kupari is your three C in the future, where does he fit in? He he could do great things. You know, he could go to Seattle and the expansion draft and do some great things. I don't even know if he's eligible or not. But yeah, I just see him as a placeholder. And same thing with Anthony Seeu, right? Like, yeah. On a contender, maybe maybe AA is because you know you see some of these goals like well. And I'm sure he's thrilled to death. He doesn't have a minus 45 next to his game this year. <laughs> I think that's a good, but he's been able to be productive in Todd's system. So could he go to an Islanders and be a death player on left wing for them when they play up front? He could. So th- my question to you is, though, what are you going to do with that fourth-round pick? Like, right. How's that going to help the team? So if yeah. he can continue to be productive, I think more Anthony see you than Lazat. Lazat, and as Jack mentioned a couple of times, there's too much depth in this organization in the middle. Like you got to make room. Yeah. So he's a transitional player. Right. I think of all the players that Dean signed way back in the day, like Scott Thornton and Ladislav Nagy, they were just placeholders. I remember Dean yeah. telling me, he goes, people thought we were going to be good when I signed seven free agents in one post offseason. He goes, you really think that we were going to be good if I signed that many players? So Blake's a great story. He could be a mentor to some of these kids that are coming up. But I think maybe next season will be the last season. I only see them an option as a 4 C. Um, I'm sure you guys can talk about yourselves about Michael Amadio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, DB, you mentioned the Islanders, and now with uh, Anders Lee going down, he's out indefinitely. We really don't know how long he's going to be out. You think uh, Lou Lamarillo is going to be giving Blake a call, say, about an Alex Iafalo if we get closer to the deadline? Um, I think Blake has made it clear that he wants to sign Alex. And I think that you need him for Kopitar and Brown because he's 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 never going to be that appreciated, Scott, because he's not a massive goal scorer. He's got what five goals this year, and he's playing with Kopitar, but he right. does all the dirty work. He does all the all the right things, right? And to me, on this team, if you go get that monster left wing, then Alex is a great two or three C. You know, he's like he's to me, he's not the same player, but whether he where he fits in the structure, like Tanner Pearson would have been a great two or three left wing, not a one. Right. Same thing with Alex. He's really not a one. He doesn't have that skill, but he works well chemistry-wise. And the two other guys are productive. He wouldn't make that move. And, and from what I understand, Rob wants to sign him. He's not going to be that expensive. I think he just hits two six or something like that. Maybe you give him three, three and a half, and you re-sign him. So I think he'd be part of the solution here. Um, short of an overpayment by Lou, and Lou's not going to be desperate. So I don't think that's going to happen. So I would keep him, but I, I think once we get to a point where this team is true contender, I think you'll see Dow outs down the depth chart on my phone. Yeah. I think, but you know what? A guy I, I mean, like I Kyle totally Fowler, who was unsigned. 
Yeah, absolutely. And a guy like Ayafala, who was unsigned, just proves your point that they don't necessarily need to stockpile draft picks anymore as far as that goes because, I mean, there's guys out there that can step right in and fill, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's Alex is just – he's just a good kid. He hustles. He gets the puck out of the you know, corners for this team. On the top line, he's not doing it on the third line. He's doing it for the top line. He's part of the reason that that line is successful. It just works. And, you know, they've tried Kempe up there, right? You would think that naturally – the guy with the most talent should be up on the top line. It just doesn't work. And it's a situation where, where Kempe's too – he defers too much when he's up on the top line. Maybe he's a little intimidated. He doesn't defer to the guys he's been playing right now with Trevor Moore. Like, he's not going to defer to Trevor Moore. He's going to be more aggressive. So, I think with respect to Alex – look, the thing is with Alex, you would like to see that big bopper on the power play. The power play is doing great, right? So, I'm not complaining about the power play. But going forward, you want that finisher. They don't really have that big threat on the, on the one power play. It tells you how great – Kopitar is and how great Drew's been playing at the point, right? But they don't have that massive goal scorer on the top line power play. It's just still surviving. So, again, I think it's just a reputation thing. And maybe, Scott, it's held against him that he wasn't drafted or he wasn't a, a first-round or a second-round pick or a big free agent signing. But I certainly think he could be part of the future. They like him. He is 27 years old. He's not a kid. But I, I would like to see him come back on, like, a three-year deal and then set the stage maybe for the next generation of Kings once that deal expires. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, going into the offseason, because I, I was listening to the Kings of the, the last Kings of the podcast, and you guys both think that the Kings aren't really going to do much at the trade deadline. We don't think anyhow. So going into the offseason, what are some of the left wings you think the Kings should be targeting to do that up there right, well, we've been did, talking about? Yeah. I did a video on that. So uh, Anthony Mantha from – Yeah, that's <laughs> – Right? Because – they stink and yep. they need a lot of help. And they need a lot of hits, right? So that's that's number one. <laughs> Phil, look, Phil Forsberg, if we cost you a lot, he's 26 years old. He's in the sweet spot of age with respect to the way this team develops. It will cost you a lot. you know. And they say, well, they're not going to trade Phil Forsberg. Guess what? You make them trade you, Philip Forsberg. You you just go all in, anti-in, because that guy is a play drive. If you look at his advanced stats, he's a play driving left wing. He scored 28 30 goals in this league. He's been fantastic. And the one that I wouldn't cost anything is Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Well, I think would be right. a and people say there's a halo effect playing with, with Connor McDavid, but he's playing 22 minutes a night. He's not a bum. Like if he was an average player, he wouldn't be playing 22 minutes a night. He's not great in the face-off circle, but he can play center. It wouldn't cost you anything. It would cost yeah. you probably six, seven million. I don't think. See, people think that, oh, he's making six million. Now he's going to make eight. Well, ask, ask, um, it's Taylor Hall about getting that contract. And Mike <laughs> Hoffman about getting a contract. It's a flat cap. People they, people aren't throwing out. People are not signing Jeff Skinner contracts. You could probably get it for the same thing because Edmonton, you would think if we sign him, they haven't extended him. So that would be the problem because he doesn't cost you anything from an asset standpoint. It's just money. Now, you want to put Forsberg and R&H fine. You want to think that Anthony Mantha at six foot five would – dominate with Kopitar, you probably would. So I think there are some options right now that either via trade or free agency you can grab and just, you know, make this team better. Um, uh, no, Dennis, what what are you going back to saying about Philip Forsberg? I mean, yes, he's yeah, he's more of an expensive commodity, but, you know, people can say, oh, well, this was years ago. True, but, like, uh, um, um, you know, you, you go back to Nashville, it's like uh, cup run in 17, you know, and it just probably um, – you know, you give credit to Subban and all that, but but Forsberg, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, he was on fire that postseason. Yeah. I know the Kings don't have to worry about postseason formers just yet, but, but like, I mean, Forsberg had like what sixty points in twenty two games that year. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's he's a guy that would fit with this team too because yeah, yeah. of the situation. I'm not, and I'm not advocating. Look, I can advocate trading for on the defense, like uh, Crystal Tang. Right. I'm not advocating for trading for Crystal Tang. He's 31 years old. Like mm-hmm. I, the guys that uh, we targeted in the fourth period, both on left wing and defense, they're young players. Yeah. Okay. Jacob Trickard. Okay. They're never gonna. Don't say that. They almost traded OEL. They would trade Jacob Trickard if you made it mm-hmm. worthwhile. They don't have a first round pick. They don't have depth in their with respect to their prospects. You make them trade you these guys. So that's it. Mm-hmm. I know you guys love Jacob Slavin, but wow, <laughs> you can pull that one off. Wow. Yeah, good luck. I mean, he the executive in here because he is just. He is a, to me, he's a superstar, really. In this it's league. not a bad option. Yeah, I think yeah. Philip Forsberg would actually be one of the best options. I mean, the only problem with Forsberg is he only has one year left on his deal. So if you can have one kind, some kind of deal where 
kind of yeah. like similar to what Mark Stone did, where he kind of re-signed as soon as he got traded. Then I'd be yeah. definitely, I definitely would do that. I'm, I'm gonna throw a couple more names at you though that I've been sure. looking at. The Winnipeg Jets are gonna be in a little bit of a cap crunch coming up with PLD needing a new deal. Neil, mm-hmm. Neil Ponick's gonna need a new deal coming up yeah. after this year. So Kyle O'Connor or Nikolai Ehlers are gonna be have are big deals. And with Cole yeah. Perfetti coming up, that maybe yeah. those two players might be on the move out coming out. And Nikolai Ehlers would be a great left wing one for the Kings and playing alongside Kopitar. I like the other name, Russ. I love Kyle Connor. Yeah, Kyle Connor. I, I would move a lot for Kyle Connor. You watch that kid finish. There's nobody on that team on this team that finishes like that. So I get Nikolai Ehlers. He could be good. If I had to pluck a player off that team, it'd be Kyle Connor. He would be amazing here with the, these, these center players because he's already playing with elite centers, right? He's playing with Mark Trifley. He's going to play with a Kopitar. That's that's easy for him. He's already produced at that level. So I get Ehlers. That's a good option. Um, but the guy I would pick off of when I pick would be Kyle Connor. Yeah, because the options I'm looking for, I mean, you want to be trading for a player that has term left. You don't want to make right. this other that's type of Milan Lucic deal where you've got one year left and then he yeah. leaves to the plane no. the next year. Yeah. You don't, no. you, so if you're going to be giving up a lot of prospects and picks, you want to make sure that player is staying. So, I mean, yeah, I mean I, I, and that's, that's what, the, you know, that's somebody inside the Kings tell me that, that, that they want to trade for controllable talent, which means it's going to be a guy in the, in the early to mid twenties that that's got term left. They, they don't want to trade for the guy. And Phil Forsberg might be the exception, but he's such an exceptional player and would fit with this team. That's why I suggest it. But you're right. It, it's going to be guys who are in their early to mid twenties where they got more term and they control because they're going to, when they want to step up to the next level, we're going to need players like that. So again, it's not they're not trading for Geno Malkin, right? I mean, it's not it's right. not happening. It's th- those those big names that people suggest. That's why Eichel makes sense because he's 22 years old and he's got term left. Yeah, it's a lot of term and it's a lot of money, but that that's why that that's what they're trending towards. That's the type of acquisition um, they'll make Russia correct. Oh, well, well, no, and, and, uh, and like um, I've never been high on Eichel because of his. Because of his uh, one of her best attitude, uh, but yeah, Des, what you were saying about like, like you know, if he goes uh, to, uh, to a different city, it's different scene altogether. That can yeah. help. Uh, uh, but I was going to say, it's like because um, uh, 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 you you just said his age, and it's funny because like because Eichel's uh, uh, Eichel's been the uh, league for a while, and, and you know, sometimes it's easy to forget that he is only twenty two, right? Yeah, he's 22. Yeah. He's been yeah. in the league for what four years, so he's or for, yeah. he's a qualified 80 point player. Look at his numbers. He, he yeah, is. absolutely. Yeah, it's a question of if you think of what, what his character is. And, and again, remember, like way back in the day with Dean, when the first talk about getting Kovalchuk with his team was back in like 2010. Yeah. 2010. And he said he he didn't believe the room was strong enough to, to trade for a player like that with a questionable attitude. Well, yes. if you don't trade quick, then you've got Brown, Kopitar, Carter, Dowdy. And quick, I think that those five guys could manage that player. Right? Absolutely, so I think that, that it shouldn't be concerned because you you wonder if he does truly have a bad attitude, and that's about reputation. Is he going to infect the rest of these young kids? Like, is he going to yeah. be? Like, are they going to look up to Jack instead of? And they're going to connect more with Jack than Andre because Andre's what 33, 34 years old. Jack's twenty two. Yeah, so right. He's you know if you good and Andre's married and has family and stuff like that. So once we get back to normal, guys go out after games. They're not going to be hanging out with Kobe. Kobe's going home to Manhattan Beach. Jack might be going up to Hollywood to have a party, right? So that's yeah. the, that's the one that's the one concern I think that they that they might have is that you, know, you have, but that's where you got to do your your research and due diligence, and you got to talk to ten people or twelve people or fifteen people about Jack's character, and then if you're comfortable with that and you're comfortable with the acquisition costs, then you could think about making the trade. Right. Yeah. Good points. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. So, Dennis, at this point with the Kings, then, what's more important for them? To get, either get the left wing one or to get the dynamic left D at um, this point? I, I, I think the, the left D one. Because if you get that, then you're set. You're absolutely set on the blue line. Because, again, I like the kids. Right? But And the other thing, Scott, is that there's nobody really left in the system. Like, I'm not believing in Jersey. Like, there's nobody left, right? There's not another guy right. coming. Unless you don't make that move and, and the team falls out and you look out and you get a, the 10th overall pick and you get a D there, that you can maybe move up. But it's not going to be own power. It's not going to be refused. So for me, I think the more essential one is to lock down the D, make the D move. And then, like I said, I think you can make – because I think with respect to the winger, there's options in the free agent market as well as trade. The D, you're not going to get that guy 
in the free agent market. I don't see it. I don't see that guy coming. So to me, if I had to make one move, and that's what I've been advocating all along, I'm not saying make five trades for the Kings. Make one trade. It's for the top pair of left side defensemen that they've looked for a while. Austin Trend? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Um, great story, right? Yeah. He's a he's the replacement for Curtis McDermott that everybody hates. Right? So <laughs> yeah. going, he's not he's at best like a third pair defenseman, which is not a bad thing. It's not disrespectful to us. He's come up, he's a little bit more fiscal than the rest of the team. And remember, the guys you look at this team, like they're not if you look at, at Tampa or you look at Dallas, they're big on the blue line. This team is not big on the blue line, other than Curse McDermott, they're small. Like Mikey yeah. Anderson, small. Bjornford, small. Matt Roy, average. Sean Walker, small. So I get why you want to play Strand, and I think he's a better de- defensive player than, than McDermott is. Although I, I think that McDermott, look, you got to spot the guy, and then some nights you got to play him. But Austin, I, I think Ryan best is six or seven D, a depth guy, um, and he's not going to be expensive. So I, I think it's a great story. I think he's made some strides that nobody thought, but I, I don't see him being, you know, an impact player on the defense for this team. Right. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I think like you mentioned, I think the defense is pretty much set unless they make that that kind of deal. I mean, uh, I mean, I will I will say I think there are players still in the system. I mean, Brock Faber is looking pretty good. Cole, yeah. you don't know what you're getting out of that. Yeah. Jordan Spence could turn into that power play kind of dyna- sure. dynamic player, but but uh-huh. obviously there isn't no Quinn Hughes. There's no Kale McCarr in our system coming up. We need to be, we need to find that top pair of lefty, but I will I'm I'm still going forward saying that that left wing one is what the Kings will be missing. Because if, if we go into next season with outside follows our left wing one, this team's not going to be a, a bona fide playoff contender. Uh, that's a good point. Because who's your left wing two? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be Kempe? Is it going to be Austin to see you? I mean, I, I think the, the Kings should trade Austin to see you at the deadline. I mean, even though he's an RFA, I think you can get a lot of value for the, how, how low his contract. I think his contract's yeah. only 1.2. And yeah. with, all these play, with all these teams up against the cap, you're going to find some great value for a contract like but that. But he's going to get you a mid-level pick. Do so you need that? Mid- uh, the, this is the last you need a draft pick, right? So, mm-hmm. hey, Ron, you had a question about da- Tahoe. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you were there for it. Other than the sun, I mean, can you just kind of walk us through the your experience there? It was nothing short of amazing, and I was there. Yeah. We the first game I went out and we were there. What, what it's really it was where the media. There's only 12 media allowed to view the game at once. There was a riser in the back behind one of the nets and you go and stand there for one period, right? So what they did was the first period of the, of the Colorado game, Colorado Vegas game, they brought out the first group. I was a part of the second group. They bring out the second group and then the sun comes out and everything melts and they postpone the game. So I never got to see any of the game. I was standing there waiting, watching Zamboni. So they said, look, you didn't come out for the first. So we're going to take you back for the start at nine o'clock. And I get it. There were no, there was no mountains. There was no lake. Guys, it was so eerily quiet watching that game. It was like amazing. It was beautiful. Yeah. And That's I got I, see what they should have done is they should have played those games at four thirty local. There was an hour left of sun, oh, yeah. right? And the sun's going down. And it, was, it was beautiful, but I think it was fantastic. But don't get used to this. They want to play outdoor games in front of 50,000, 60,000 people. This was a substitute for the Winter Classic because they didn't have an outdoor game. It was a brilliant idea. Yeah, it was a tough break with the sun. And, you know, look, I woke up that morning, I did hot stove, and it was 26 degrees and overcast. I go, this is going to be a perfect day for the game. And I should have realized that there's like 310 days of sun in Tahoe, and the sun's <laughs> going to come out, and the clouds are going to burn off. And that's what we had. So, and look, you know, the players, uh, Makar and Landis said, we would have kept playing, but, you know, they decided it wasn't safe for us to play. Oh, yeah, it, was amazing. it was a one-off. But, I, look, I want to, I've been to – I'm sure you guys have been in the stadium series games. They've been amazing. Uh, we got to get back to that because we got to drive revenue in the sport. Despite the, the contract that they signed with ESPN, we got to get fans in the buildings, a lot of fans back in the building. So, expect to win a classic in Minnesota next year. Expect the outdoor game in North Carolina next year. So, it was a great situation. They might do one-off. Like, like I, I've talked to Steve Mayer who's the head of events for the NHL. He's always wanted to do one on the Rideau Canal in, in Ottawa. Which oh, yeah. Amazing. Uh, as a parliament. Oh, yeah. That would be yeah. amazing, right? Um, but that's going to be it. They, they, they don't want to take the expense and time to build these rings and not play in front of fans. Uh, and don't mean to sure. brag, but I grew up in Ottawa. That's the only time <laughs> I ever bragged about that, by the way. So. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis, who would you like you to know, see? The, who would you like to see the LA Kings play in the next outdoor game? 
Um, well, my partner, Joan Hovind, suggested this. I want to I home and home in the two football stadiums with the Vegas Golden Knights. Oh, I want them yeah, to come yeah. and, and play here, and then we'll go to, to Allegiant and play there. I think that would be amazing because you could talk about Anaheim. You could talk about San Jose. The big rival is going to be Vegas. Because yeah. I, mean, I just keep going back to that playoff round of 2017. And surprisingly, how much noise there was when Vegas scored a goal in Staples Center, which I never would have thought. That's the team because they're the hot team right now. The other two teams, to be frank, the Kings are better than both of them. I mean, Anaheim is a disaster. I don't know why the coach and GM is still there. San Jose is just screwed. I mean, with their contract, they're screwed. So I, I would like to Vegas because that's just a, a building uh, rivalry. And I think there's some resentment with respect to Kings fans because, you know, it's been a straight line up from Vegas at this point in time. So those would be – and it's not technically an outdoor game, but it's a stadium game. I think those would be – that would be the pl- team I would want to play. Well, it's the best way to promote those brand new stadiums. Like you mentioned, Allegiant Stadium's looking great. It looks like almost like the Death Star over there in Vegas. And then you got SoFi out here. I mean, what better way to promote those new stadiums? I'm sure those football owners would definitely be up for that. I mean, you can get 80,000 fans watching hockey. And the the players like it, Russ. They they really enjoy it. Like when they go out there, you know what they enjoy? I'll tell you they enjoy it. The night before, when they take their families out on the ice and skate, they love that crap. They just absolutely eat that up. They take pictures and stuff like that. And, and you guys know these players. They're amazing players. They're amazing people. They're just so good. For one or two exceptions, they're really, really good players. So, um, yeah. so yeah, so I, I think that would be it because of the nature of the rivalry that's building between the two teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, Dennis, that kind of segues into a, a, a listener question that we have for you. It's from uh, Richard Sarabia. But this one in particular, he wants to know if you were commissioner and you could pick anywhere in the U.S. for the Kings to play an outdoor game, where would it be? And who, well, you, we know who the opponent would be, but where, where, where else would you go other than the football stadiums? Anything, anything different? Um, I'm trying to think what other venues could be. Um, well, you know, Luke Robitaille always talked about playing a game on the beach. So I think oh, that – and, and I remember how great the stadium, the Dodger Stadium was amazing. So sure I think right. that would be the one place where I think you'd want to – if you construct – and, again, it will be in the model of the Tahoe game, right? There could be a lot of fans there. But to play a game on the beach, in Manhattan Beach or in Hermosa. That'd be or wicked. Dante, yeah. I, I would be – I think that would be the one – type of game that I'd want to see played um, with respect to uh, if I was commissioned with respect to LA. Very cool. Very, very cool. Guys got anything else? Uh, I actually just have one about uh, the league in terms of moving forward with the divisions and the realignment with Seattle coming in next year, you know, obviously they had to pretty radically realign things this year, but do you think there's any appetite among the league to maybe keep, say, like the old Canadian division together moving forward? Or are they going to maybe just go back to what it was in previous years plus Seattle in the West? Yeah, great question, Jack. I don't think they have any appetite to keep it the way it is right now because it's just strictly about border travel and quarantine. I, I think, Jack, they do have an appetite for changing the schedule with respect to how they play. I think they like these baseball-type series, Jack, where, you know, mm-hmm. in the second game, there's a lot more anger in these games. You see, and they said on Hockey Night and Canada Night, the fights are actually up this year yeah. because you're playing the same teams over and over again. You're playing them back-to-back, and the guy with a questionable hit in the first game is going to pay for it in the second game. So to your point, Jack, I think we're going to go back to the alignment we had, but I don't think we're going to sit – and I always joke about it. Like, does anybody in January really want to see the Carolina Hurricanes come to Staples Center? Yeah, really? yeah. If you want that extra game against Vegas or Anaheim and stuff like that. So I think they'll go – it won't be that perfectly balanced schedule – I think you'll see more more rivalry games, uh, but I, I do think that they're going to go back to, to those standard divisions and the way we had the playoffs as we've had before this season. Well, and a lot of players seem to be talking about they're like in these two or three game series as well. Like cuts down on on the travel for that, especially for the West Coast teams, Jack. Yeah. Right? I mean, you'd rather you'd rather if you're if you're the Kings, you'd rather be playing a division than going across the country three or four times. But you know, it's like some you know you want to put Andre Kopitar. In buildings in the east, you want to see him play there. So I think, that, and it's always the, it's not even the couple talk discussion. It's always the Sid Crosby and Ovechkin and Mount and McDavid. You got to share the wealth with that, and that's never going to go away because this league is so is star driven. So that's part of it. So, but I, the players do like this better. I think they're. I think that's part of the reason. Not only did he have nine months off, but a guy like Cooper is more fresh because he's not flying to, you know, he's not flying to, to to Tennessee or Florida or New York City and going. 
you know, 10 game trips. When you go on a six game trip, you're going to Anaheim, Colorado and St. Louis. That's not really that much taxing. So yeah, I just think that they got some learnings from this. They're going to tweak this, the schedule with respect to who they play, but not the divisional play. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and Dennis, to your point on uh, Kopitar, I recall on a recent media um, call, he said he's going to bed at midnight rather than like two thirty or three a.m. Yeah. That adds up. <laughs> it adds up. All right. Well, listen, I got one more question from Richard. So I know okay. we were talking about he's probably got Ted, but we're gonna, I'm going to give you one more because it's actually a pretty good one. I want to hear what you think about this. So he's asking if on a scale of one to ten, how satisfied are you with the Kings where they are right now? One being bad, ten being the best. I would say um, eight, and I would move it to mine if they make the postseason. That's not bad. Just very good. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think it's. I mean, hashtag play the kids. If we're able to get more games from Quentin Byfield toward the end of the year or some other Sammy Fagamo or players like that, I mean, I think this team, that, that's a great development year for players. I mean, you want, you've gotten games from Jared Anderson Dolan. You've gotten games from Rasmus Kapari. I mean, that's all, that's really all you wanted from this year was development, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. And I see Manny answer a question. Team Canada, Captain Drew Doughty, yes. And then LA. <laughs> so. He should be on the team. I think that yes, he should. You know, he look. He took it personally, and I think that's sort of the motivation. But he's clearly one of the best seven defensemen in Canada. Come on, it's, it's yeah. he's a crappy year. He said, "Look, this team was bad. This team had Willie Desjardins coaching. You know what? This team like was so disinterested in playing for Willie. I mean, really. I mean, so Drew. I had some questions in the early year, the first seven or eight games. I think what happened with Drew guys is I think there's a a new level of maturity. He's married now. He has kids." And he's that, that outburst that you see remember when Drew going to penalty box and smash the stick. And I think the fact that he's not playing Matthew Kachuk this year has helped as well. <laughs> I just see him over maturity with, with Drew. I just see that the outburst starts that he's controlling himself more. Maybe because he realizes there's a bunch of kids on his team and he can't really go off. You know, when you play with veterans that don't really care, you can do that. But when you're supposed to lead by example, I just love the maturity from Drew this last 20 games. And I think that, yeah, he's, he's become an elite player again and it certainly should be on Team Canada. I agree, yeah. What do you think about him wanting to keep the media out of the locker room going forward? Well, I asked Kopitar if he agreed with me. Yeah, I'd be for that, too. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's Drew being Drew. Like, I asked that question because I know it was what he was going to answer. He loves it. He just loves it. It's just it's just never going to happen. I mean, there is concern among the hockey writers that we would be limited, and I will tell you that probably to a man, the players would prefer not to be in the room. But when you sign a, a $500 million or $600 million contract with ESPN, we're going to be in the room. And yeah. I asked Gary Bettner about that. I, I just very pointed. I said, what do you think about a prominent player like Drew Daddy saying we shouldn't be in the locker room anymore? He goes, I can understand why he said that. That's not our view. It's not the view of the league. You need more exposure for this game, not yeah. less. Mm-hmm. And I get, it. I get it with Drew. And, and, you know, Drew just likes to talk sometimes and be controversial. So I get it. I understand it. But it was kind of funny because I, I, I I'm, I'm – pretty good relationship with Kopitar. So when I asked that, he texted me and he said, you know, um, you should mute your microphone because you're laughing after you asked me that question. So. <laughs> I get it. Like You think like two years ago when this team sucked that they wanted to come out, and not for nothing, the whole team isn't out there when you walk into the room. There's two guys anyway. And they come out, you know, so there's two guys in the room. The PR guy might ask you for one or two other guys. And they'll come out. This is not like you walk in and all 20 guys are on mass in there. More so practices, but after post games, again, you play two and a half hours. I'm going to ask you what a power play sucked tonight. Like, you're going to really love that. You know, you want to get in the car and drive home to Manhattan Beach. I get it. I understand it. But it's essential. And I think these guys get it in the big picture that we do have to promote this game because it's such a great game. Yeah. Absolutely. I know. I know. Ryan and I are hoping the the Zoom calls or whatever you want to call it uh, stay around in some capacity next year. You know, he's in Toronto. I'm in Chicago. Yes. <laughs> they might. And then maybe have into the future. It might be incorporated in, but it can't be the only way because it, you know what you lose on that. It's two dimensional. You lose nuance. And and John brought up a great point on the podcast that like when, the best stories are when you can go over to a guy's locker and talk to him for ten minutes. You can't do that anymore. It's so antiseptic, yeah. and you can't get to everybody. Right? And the guy who has a bad game, he doesn't have to hide anymore. You know, in the, in the dressing room, he's not. I'm not available. Right. I'm going home. So, so that that's 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 the that's the troubling part is that we're not getting that exposure that we need to get. Um, so, uh, so I understand, it. but I, I think it's going to be incorporated at some point in time because it's pretty easy to use, and you know, the players and the coaches are becoming more comfortable using it. Except for Daryl Sutter, right? 
<laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> what was he drawing? And then the, the first one, when they introduced him, he had his phone down on the desk looking up, not facing him. So you saw his ceiling was one thing on the floor. I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be something. I will say that the NHL yeah. is a better place with Daryl Sutter in it. That's for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Oh, he can say that again. <laughs> <laughs> oh that is awesome that is awesome it really is well listen i think i think uh i think that's about all we got for you dennis uh anything right, else you uh, want to add on no i just really appreciate your guys support on twitter and supporting what we do here at the fourth period and kings of podcast with john so it's always great and and i you know i think the fans are amazing 99% of people are great. Like, I don't know anymore. I just have my own opinions. I'm not smarter than anybody else. I've been around a team for 20 years. I get it. I understand it. But I, I'm happy to engage with all the fans. I think it's great. And I think the Kings fans should be really, really happy about what's going on. And I'm more critical. I think I'm the most critical of the media here because I like to see more. But they should be happy. They should be happy with the job this front office has done and be excited about what's happening in the future. But I thanks for, I appreciate you bringing me on, McGraw. Well, we, we just good. appreciate the heck out of it, too. Thank you so much for coming on and taking your time on a Saturday night to talk to us like this. This is just uh, just a wonderful treat for us. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Dennis.